Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. My name is Israel Martinez, and I love having this opportunity to serve here as your lead pastor. And if you are a guest today, I hope you feel dearly loved and welcomed and, and know that uh, we hope you see Christ's love today from our church. And so as we show you guys um, that we uh, love you with our actions and our interactions with you. And so we have been undergoing some renovations, and uh, this is the last time I will talk about it. Um, and so we've been blessed, and, and the Lord has called us to end this project and to move into a new season. So it's been three years of online uh, church planting for seven months. Nobody expected that. Kicked us in the face. Surprise. Welcome to co uh, church planting in COVID. And then two years of, of starting services in the middle of COVID, and the Lord, you know, uh, I think calling us to be faithful in that. And he's brought us to this place where we have really faithful, committed people. Um, and he has brought us to what we are calling to this season of being all in the journey. Um, and so we're saying that this means to live in the bold faith, like actual bold faith to the journey that the Lord has called us to as Redeemer Church Irving. And so we've been fasting and praying every Friday for four Fridays, a whole month. We did our last one last week, and we've just been praying these points and praying scripture that the Lord would do um, something amazing. We still have one more event. So this is the Friday. It's actually Good Friday, March 31st from 6 to 7. It's a prayer in the city. So this is celebratory. We won't be fasting. We're actually going to throw down and eat afterwards and go to a restaurant. And so that is just a time where we publicly pray right here in Water Street, which is just kind of the middle of Las Colinas, a grassy area there. We just meet there, pray in public. We sing a little chorus of a song. We prayer walk. We just go around um, and then uh, we eat at a local restaurant. And so come to that. Please come, and that will culminate um, this season of praying. And so we're asking people to we're asking people to do that in this season. We're asking people to give above and beyond our normal giving. We need to raise 50K as doing this project, which we know our board and everyone has said, let's go for it. This is what we were called to do, but that's cut into our reserves. And so we're encouraged to, to uh, raise uh, 50K. And then our final point this week, which we're going to focus on, is... Um, inviting neighbors, friends, and family, and even strangers, that, that the word for hospitality in the Bible really is talking about strangers oftentimes, to join us on April 2nd for, uh, at 10 a.m. for our building grand opening. So disciple groups, you have one more week this week where we will reach our individual neighborhoods. Last, this last month, um, Christian has led us, and we have hit up all these neighborhoods, and I promise you the nations are there. I could take you to my house, my neighborhood. The nations are there. It, 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 right here in Irving. If you want to be a missionary, hello, you're a missionary. Welcome. Um, they're literally right across the street. Like, we can take you, you know, in, in one minute and be in a neighborhood where the nations are among us. And so invite people. Invite the people you know. Invite people in your scope from work. Invite family. Invite friends. I've invited a lot of people, and they said they're coming. So we shall see. We're hoping to, to pack the place out. That all that, that people will be standing room only. We'll have extra chairs brought in and we'll see what the Lord does. But we need you guys to, to do that as well. To be proactive and invite people. Send a text message. Send them the link to the website. There's a, there's a registration there so we can kind of have an idea who's coming. And so we have this next week. We have invitations and they are out there and where our um, connections table is. So please take those big old flyers. There's black ones. There's colored ones. Uh, thank you, Anna, for... 
designing those and Brian for printing them. And we will pass, we've been passing those out. We're going to pass them out to anybody, to whoever you want at Chick-fil-A. Just take, have them in your car, pass them to people. And so, again, we encourage you to really focus this week. As we have looked the last two weeks, Jesus has said, come and see. And so what we're saying, um, it's not about um, just coming to church, but it is about coming to church. This is the main thing historically that people have done is gathered on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. Why? That's the day Jesus resurrected. Why is it important? Because it's the foundation where you should hear the gospel taught, hopefully, not just a good lesson on to be a good person, but that we're teaching the Bible, and you hear elder or pastor teaching, and then you take that, and that catalyzes your week. All other churchy things are good, but our generation doesn't remember to gather like every week. It should just be normal. You shouldn't even think about it. It should just be now. Things happen, yes, but I really think if we would just start there, it's what the the scriptures say in Acts 2.42, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and that's what I promise to do in any good pastor should be devoted to teaching what the apostles taught, which is God's word, and so that is why Sunday is so important. We remember what Christ did, and it catalyzes us for the rest of our week and the rest of our year. And so all the other churchy things we do are great as well. We need to learn to live life together. But I think our culture and the they're like, let's live life together, and let's not come to church on Sunday. Let's forget that. It's super important to be devoted, to not forsake the gathering, it says in Hebrews. And so that's what we're encouraging people to do. And so let's do that. Again, we're going to be all in the journey. We're going to live in bold faith to the journey the Lord has called us to as Redeemer Church. And hopefully it's like we, we get to, to uh, launch this next coming week. And so the Lord has given us three long years of being faithful and doing that. And so know that. Receive that. I see you. I thank you guys for your work and your effort. And let's go. Like the Lord's called us, it, it, this is a new season. So uh, transitioning, we are going to be in John 1, 43 through 51. So join me there. Um, we are going to worship and learn that Jesus calls, said in a fuller way, we're going to see that, uh, worship and learn that Jesus calls saying, follow me, which will bring questions as he invites us to come and see that he sovereignly knows you and calls you to see him as the son of God and man who gives access to God. And so we've been learning of Jesus, who is the one and only, as we just sang, this God revealed, this logos, meaning the word of God. That John, the apostle John uses this word, which means the word, logos, that means this, the reason behind the logic. God is this reason behind everything. You see, the apostle John and John the Baptist, who are featured in chapter 1, both point us to believe in Jesus. And the apostle John gives us his thesis statement for the, the book of um, his gospel in John 20, 30 through 31, and he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. He says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We're going to look at that word today. And that by believing you may have life in his name, actual life, real belief, not fake belief. Again, today we're going to be in John 1, 43 through 51 and worship and learn that Jesus calls, said more completely, we will worship and learn that Jesus calls, saying, follow me, which will bring questions as he invites you to come and see. That's what we're doing with people. Come and see what we're doing. Come and see and be part of the church. We're going to see that Jesus invites us to come and see that he sovereignly knows you and calls you to see him as the son of God 
and, and the Son of Man who gives us access to God. So I want you to think about what calls your attention. What calls your attention? What wakes you up in the morning? What drives you to live and work and do what you do? Maybe it's something fun. Me and my son, I'm going to be coached after here, and I'm going to get to play baseball. We're amped. We're going to go play some little kids' baseball, and I'm excited. That, that, get, that, that amps me up. Maybe it's something fun like that. Maybe it's a vacation or a trip. Maybe you can't wait to take that thing. What wakes you up? What gets you going like, man? Um, maybe it's a person. Maybe a person has your heart, and they wake you up, and you're in love or you're infatuated. You think you're in love. Maybe you're a warrior, and wars, and rumors of wars, and earthquakes, or even last a uh, few weeks ago, the tornadoes. Maybe that ruffles your feathers and gets to your attention. Like, oh, man, the end is coming. I don't know. Everything scares me. I'm nervous. I talk fast. I, do, I don't know what to do. Maybe that's you. I don't know. What calls to you? What calls out to you? What lures you in to look, to be like, hmm, to take a peek? to listen, to see, to smell, to pay attention. What calls to your heart and soul? Maybe nothing calls you. Maybe you're like Eeyore and you don't care about anything. Old Winnie the Pooh reference, anybody? Maybe you don't care and you're apathetic and everything's pointless. Or, or you think life is too difficult and too hard. Maybe there's too much pain or suffering or struggle May it be physical or mental. Again, what calls for your attention? Let's read in our text today, John 1, 43 through 51. And allow the scriptures to call our attention today. Read with me in John 1, 43 through 51. If you have your Bible, turn on your device. Get your eyes and ears in the text. We want to be people of the text. We want to be people of the apostles' teaching. Look at this. John 1, 43 through 51. It says, the next day, after Jesus had just called, remember, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, he, he, um, they, uh, they were called. Now we see this. The next day, in verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. That's where he was kind of from. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. This is another city we think was in the northern region of Galilee. It says, the city of Andrew and Peter, those were the ones who just got called before, so he's connecting the two. Verse 45 says, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so again today, we're going to worship and learn uh, from John 1, 43 through 51, that Jesus calls. 
that he actually calls even today. And said more completely, we're going to learn in worship that Jesus calls saying, follow me. Which brings questions as he invites us to come and see. To come and see what? That he sovereignly knows you. He sovereignly knows you and calls you to what? To see him as he really is, as the son of God and the son of man who actually give us access to God. And so, in three points, we're going to see that one, Jesus calls saying, follow me. Again, that, that will bring questions. We're going to see Jesus says, follow me, which brings questions in verses 43 through 46a. In 46b through 48, we're going to see that Jesus calls, saying, come and see, because he sovereignly knows you better than you know yourself. And then verse 49 through 51, we're going to see that Jesus calls. He calls us to see greater things in him as the Son of God and the Son of Man who gives us access to God. And so now let's look at our first point from verse 43 of our text today, which, again, is saying that Jesus calls, saying, follow me, which brings questions. This is very similar to what we looked at last week. Look at verses 43 and 46a, the little first part there. Now it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. This was kind of, this is the north part of Israel, close to Syria, and it's the the region where, uh, close to where Jesus was from, but uh, we know Philip um, was from there, as it says later in the text, it's Bethsaida, we think, was near Galilee. And it says, he, Jesus, look at this word found, it's going to say it three times, found Philip. Did Philip find Jesus? No. Jesus found Philip. God is sovereign. And he found Philip and said to him what? We're going to sing this later today. Follow me. Don't half-heartedly follow me. Don't follow somebody else. He's saying, I should call your attention. I should grab your heart. Follow me. He's given them that initial invitation. Jesus calls his disciples. Remember, this is different from how other disciples would ask to follow a rabbi. There were many teachers back in the day. And generally, usually, uh, the common practice was for people to go to the, the rabbi and say, can I follow you? Can I follow you? You're so cool. And Jesus actually called people to follow him. So verse 44 continues saying, now, Philip was from Bethsaida. This was from that region there in, in, in Galilee. Uh, scholars aren't exactly sure where, where it was, but we think it was around Galilee. Uh, that's not, I'm not a scholar, but that's where scholars think it is. Um, and so the city of, of Andrew and Peter. So those are the ones who were just called, okay? And so this is a connection to the text right above. He's saying, John is saying, hey, this is similar. It's a different, some new disciples, but it's similar. The, the heart of it is similar. Now we see these other disciples. Verse 45 now says, Philip found Nathanael. So these were guys that were known as the apostles. Peter and Andrew were brothers, and then these guys were friends. We, we don't know the full relationship, but he said Philip, Philip and Nathanael, we don't know much about them in the Bible. They're mentioned here. They're mentioned by name in the list of the apostles, and we don't know much about them. There's a few other spots when Philip is talked about. But we know they were the guys They were part of the 12. They weren't as famous as the 12. They had their role, and they knew their role. And some of us will be John, some of us will be Peter, some of us will be in that inner circle, some of us will be Nathaniel, Nathaniel or Thaddeus, Bartholomew, like, who's that guy, that name? I don't like that name, you know, like, no one wants to be Thaddeus or Bartholomew, sorry if that's your name, it's not the coolest name in the world. Um, but some of us, we have different roles in the body of Christ. I never liked my name, by the way, but now I appreciate it, thank you, dad and mom, Israel. Um, and so, we see in verse 45, again, that Philip found this Nathaniel and said to him, what? 
He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. They say, we have found him. Jesus said that it said that Jesus found Philip. And now, they're, now Philip is being inclusive. He's like, I see him. And he's saying, we, Philip, together, we have found him. Because we have found him of who Moses, Moses was the prophet of Israel. He says, who Moses in the law and also all the other prophets wrote, this Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town. It's still, mm, it's still kicking, we think. It's about 60 or 80,000 people. Back then, it was, it was a relatively small town. And, and it was, uh, it's southwest of the Sea of Galilee, so in a similar region, Jesus is kind of from that region. And then he, the, um, Philip identifies him as the son of Joseph. Because why? He's seeing his humanity. He doesn't know about the virgin birth, but he says, so it's kind of true. Philip, I mean, Joseph uh, was Philip's stepdad, because Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of the Father. And so it's true, but it's not completely true because Jesus was the Son of God. So look, um, in Deuteronomy 18, 18, saying, speaking of Moses, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words, the Father says, in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. Jesus in Deuteronomy. Then verse 46a, Nathanael said to him, Man, can anything good come out, come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Irving? Can anything good come out of wherever you're from? You see, Nathaniel didn't believe Jesus' call initially, and he questioned his friend Philip. He questions Philip's call, which echoes Jesus' call. Nathaniel could not behold the lamb, so this brought about questions and doubts in him. And the call to follow Jesus will more than likely do the same for you. Because Jesus tells us to count the cost of following him. Salvation is free and easy for us, but was costly for Jesus as he took on the sin of the world, absorbing God's wrath on the cross. And yes, guys, following Jesus brings life. And yes, it is great and it is joyous. But the Bible tells us that there will be suffering, that suffering is inevitable for the believer. And that following Jesus is not about us, but it's about Jesus. And while salvation is initially easy and grace is freely given, following Jesus then and now is hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do in a lot of ways. But there's joy in that. God is always juxtaposing things together that don't seem to go together, the lion and the lamb, the alpha and the omega, joy and suffering. What? It's like dancing with tears. And so we are called to follow Jesus correctly. Remember the words in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. We'll sing this um, later. Um, again, this is what Jesus is saying uh, disciples will look like and act like and think like. It shows us what call his Calling will require of us if we truly are called believers that follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 through 27 says, And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Not, not self-actualize, not become a better version of you. Uh, whatever you think that is, smarter, thinner, faster, you know, more money. He says, no, we're supposed to deny ourselves. That doesn't mean you be a bum and be lazy. That's not what it's saying. Right? What is he saying? The things that you're gifted in, to deny those things, that those things are not idols. He says, take up, that the person would, that we would take up our cross and follow him. 
The cross is an instrument of torture. It would be like someone saying, take your electric chair, take your lethal injection. That's not, a, that's not an exciting idea. That's like, okay, this is heavy. This is big deal. For he, Jesus continues saying, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his li- life for my sake will find it. Our, our goal is to lose our life for, for, for Christ. He says, what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So this is not saying that one can save their self or earn their salvation, but rather it's, it, um, this is a response to true salvation. This is what Christian obedience will look like. You see, to be a true follower of Jesus, we must be challenged and questioned to actually consider if we're actually truly following Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He sees him with the first two sets of disciples here. So said another way, we must consider if we are true disciples or true followers of Jesus. And there, there are many fake or false followers of Jesus who want the stuff Jesus gives and not Jesus the king of their life. They, do, they want the kingdom of God without the king. They want the kingdom of God without the king. Mark Sayers says that. It's a really good quote. And so that's why we must be questioned. Jesus wants our heart and our head, not only our head. Yes, I believe in Jesus and I talk like this. Yes, uh, yes. And I, I read the Bible. I believe in Jesus. He wants our heart. He wants your passion. Americans need to, I think, learn a little more passion. We're very stoic, quiet people sometimes. Like passion. Now, don't, just not all passion, heart and head, right? Both. Both. That's how we grow as disciples, whatever your weakness is. Latino people, we're way too passionate sometimes. We need to calm it down, okay? And we learn from our American brothers, and our American brothers learn from us to, 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 to have, a, have a little more passion. People will always question Jesus, not even Jesus' own disciples They couldn't even see Jesus' greatness. They literally witnessed a perfect man live a perfect life, and they could not see perfection. So think with me. If we can't see perfection as humans, which none of us would have seen Jesus' perfection, we'd have been like, man, he's kind of annoying. Man, he thinks he's he's the stuff. We'd be like, who does he think he is? We we can't see perfection because we are flawed. We're sinful. We're broken. We're haters. So think again. If we can't see perfection staring us in the face, imagine all the flaws and things we don't see in ourselves. Imagine all the flaws in our questions to God. All our questions about Jesus in our life and this doubt and that doubt and I wish this happened or that happened. We can't see perfection when it's staring at us in the face and we think that we are smarter than God. Guys, the Bible says we can't know ourselves without God's revelation to us of who we are as broken sinners who need rescue from a holy God. We can't see our flaws. We can't see see perfection. So what makes you think we can see our imperfections? That's a lie from the world. We can't. You see, our first point, we we see that Jesus calls saying, follow me. And that's going to bring questions. That's going to bring doubt. We're going to be insecure. We're going to be unsure. But let's, that leads us to our second point. Let's look at our second point from verse 46b through 48 of our text today, where we see Jesus calls saying, come and see, because he sovereignly knows you better than you know yourself. Say amen. 
Today, we lack this ability to discern our personality. You can't do it. Or, or how we come across to other people. We call this self-awareness today, right? As self-aware as you think you are, and I think I am, we lack so much. We are so unaware of our quirks, our attitudes, and how we come across to other people sometimes. And that's why we need God to know us. You see, we need God to humble us, and that is why we need God's church. We need each other to keep us accountable to grow and work on the issues we have. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, 12 on church accountability. He says in verse 11, of those claiming to be believers, but I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or believer if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, Paul says. I'm not supposed to judge the world. He said, it is those inside the church whom you are to judge. What? I thought we weren't supposed to judge in church. No, that's wrong. God judges those on the outside, and he says, Paul says, purge the evil person from among you. But that's not loving. Yes, it is. Listen to Jesus. He's, I'll, I'll read some words from Jesus in a second. You see, true disciples and true leaders will want to grow and not just sit on their duff. True disciples and true leaders will keep other believers lovingly but seriously accountable. We as believers, we don't judge in hypocrisy, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. You see, hypocrisy lacks confession. Hypocrisy doesn't mean, oh, man, I sinned. Now, since I sinned, I just give up. Oh, I'm a hypocrite if I tell that person to stop doing evil. No, that's being, that's being real. That's confessing. Hypocrisy is sinning and then Putting on a mask, that's the old Greco-Roman word, and saying, you can do it too. It's okay. That's hypocrisy. But humanity is going to mess up, but hypocrisy lacks confession, okay? When you sin and mess up, you can still tell someone, hey, don't do the same dummy thing that I did, right? It's what we do as parents all the time to our kids, our whole life. We're not being hypocrites because we made mistakes when we were younger. No, we're saying we love you. Don't do the same thing. Again, hypocrisy lacks confession. We all sin, but we all can also call other believers to godly standards. It's our job as believers. Paul said, now listen to Jesus in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Jesus says, judge not. That's where people get, oh, we can't judge. But listen to what he says, that you be not judged. So don't judge wrongly or in hypocrisy. Don't be fake is what he's saying. He says, he continues, for with the judgment you pronounce, so he's saying, okay, you're gonna be, you will be judged, so be careful when you judge, okay? And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, so be careful when you judge. But he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? This is our problem, our heart, but you don't notice the huge log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. That's hypocrisy. First, take the log out of your, the, the big old log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. He says, take the speck out, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the expectation is that we go as a church and keep each other accountable, but we do it with the right heart, humbly. You see, without God, it's difficult to know oneself accurately, and we often think that we're right or better than we actually are. Again, it's called pride or this lack of self-awareness. And so we can judge believers the, the way Paul and Jesus called us to. True disciples and people that grow as leaders 
And I would encourage you that all of you are leading somewhere, even kiddos, we must be ready to take criticism and encouragement. You don't just get one, you're amazing, you're awesome, and that's not true, right? Now you are that, but you also have flaws. We all do. That's why we need God's church to keep us accountable. And we don't like the church because we're like, I don't want them to know my business. Mm-mm. Not me. Nope. I'm not going to tell you nothing. It's the pride that wells up. And you don't have to tell every single sin that you've done, but you have a heart of confession and a heart of like, man, I want to be seen by other people in God's church. That's why we need the church. The church is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what God has designed for believers to be a part of, to actually grow in true discipleship. We can't do it alone. You can't rely on your own self-discipline. You're going to fail. You need the Holy Spirit in God's church. Now, you can be a disciple who is proactive in your own discipleship. You should be. You need to be. And, and you should be learning uh, on, on your own and, and by yourself through the Spirit. Yes. But you can't separate the Holy Spirit's work on you from the work of the church. That's demonic. God uses them to work together. And a lot of people are like, man, I don't need church. Or I don't really go to church. It's not that important if I don't go be with the church. It's fine. I can go to church by myself. Reminds me of this guy that, God bless him, he passed away. But when I was at this other church, he baptized himself. That was interesting. And so we are, we just do our own rather. I just do church in my, my, in my living room or my bathroom. No, that's doing it by yourself. Yes, you are part of the church. But the, the, the Bible is saying be together with other believers. It's super important. It will change your life. It will change the trajectory of your kiddo's life. Literally with the right heart, not just showing up on Sunday for no reason, but with the right heart listening to the apostles' teaching, living life together, I guarantee, look 10 years in the future, your life will be totally different. It's a lie that you can do church on your own. Don't believe it. It's a lie straight from Satan. God gave us a church. He calls the church his bride. He loves her. We should love her. It's what allows us and helps us to grow as disciples. And you, you need to be living life with the church, as Hebrews says, not neglecting the gathering of the saints. It says it for a reason. You see, we will always have questions when we're doing something hard. It's not always easy to come to church in the morning. But you, if you're a disciplined person, you won't even think about it. You just come. You serve. You make it part of who you are. And it will change your life. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we see in the scriptures that following Jesus' commands should not be burdensome. It's joy. But as humans, we will struggle with our flesh until we die. As Paul said in Romans 7, this is a super apostle Paul. In Romans 7, 15 through 17, for what I don't understand, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. This is Paul. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, don't think this is a cop-out to just be like, well, Paul, he can't defeat sin, so I can't either. I'm just going to dive in. No, it's not a free pass to keep sinning. That's a lie from Satan. Paul's words are just a reality that we are sinful and imperfect in the flesh. Only Jesus defeated sin. And through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to defeat sin as well. Because in the chapter before, speaking of his own struggle with sin, Paul throws out this deep philosophical question saying, in Romans 6, 1 through 4, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? 
He's saying, man, if we keep sinning, we actually keep getting more grace. But he says, double no. We don't have that in, in English. We have a word that's close, but it's kind of a bad word. He says, no, no, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus Christ, I mean, in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, this is the hope for us, guys, that we would walk in newness of life. Remember the, the, the theme of John, that, you would have, that we would have life. God wants us to be holy and walk in newness of life. And even in that, that struggle with the flesh that, that is real and constant, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one just boxing the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Paul says, I do that. Lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We should all be disciplined like Paul. Paul is saying, this is how you follow Jesus. And so we, we need God to know us and reveal more of our blind spots and our problems. And so look at our second point. It says, Jesus called. We see that Jesus calls, saying, come and see, because he sovereignly knows you better than you know yourself. Look at verses 46b through 48. They say, Philip said, come and see. Philip now echoes, and he follows Jesus' saying in John 1.39, just right before this, and he's saying, come and see. Now, Philip is mimicking Jesus, literally. He's, the words are following Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, Jesus is actually being encouraging. He says, behold, an Israelite. That was like a, a, uh, like a compliment. Man, you're, the, you're a Hebrew of Hebrews. You're an Israelite. Indeed, in whom there is no deceit, Jesus says. You're a man of integrity. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, man, how do you know me? He's caught off guard. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Philip was amazed by the knowledge of God. You see, Psalm 139 shows us how God knows us. We're going to look at Psalm 139 because God actually knows us just like he knew Philip here. This idea of the fig tree had this idea that people would be doing something important under a fig tree. And so Philip was surprised. How did you know my deepest thoughts? Philip was amazed by God's knowledge. Psalm 139 shows us how to really be self-aware. Listen to this in Psalm 139. It says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. The psalm ends with these famous verses in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. God doesn't test us to sin, but he does test us to grow in sanctification. He says, try me and know my thoughts. That's how you need to pray. Pray this every day. Your life will be totally changed. And see if there's any grievous or wicked way in me and lead me in the, in the way everlasting. You see, that's how we should pray to God. This is how one who truly understands Jesus' call to follow him prays and thinks. You see, when Jesus calls, we must follow him and lay down our questions. They're there. We got to lay them down. As Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. They're not ours. 
but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do, do all the words of this law. That's for us today, too. And like our second point says, we can follow in Jesus' call, saying, come and see, because he sovereignly knows you better than you know yourself. And this leads us to our last point. Verses 49 through 51, where we see that Jesus calls us to see greater things in him as the Son of God and the Son of Man who gives us access to God. Look at verses 49 through 51. Then Nathanael answered him, Rabbi or teacher, you are the Son of God. He sees him the right way. He says, you are the king of Israel. And now he connects the Old Testament idea of Messiah to the New Testament idea. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, this is one of the first times Jesus says, truly, truly. So he's like, this is a big deal. I say to you, this little phrase always confused me. I, I, I was like, what is he talking about? I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this is a ref- reference to Genesis 28 when Jacob had a dream and God promised to bless him and the whole earth. This is where we see this Christophany where Jesus says, I am the Lord, and he makes this promise. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread abroad to the west and the east. That's a promise of Jesus. All families of the earth will be blessed. This is in Genesis 28. Jesus is there, okay? That's what it says in Acts. It says that they saw Jesus. And and Jesus says he's going to be with him to the end. He says, I'm not going to leave until I do what is promised. So this is the story of Jacob's ladder, um, which was showing that, that from the beginning of creation, from the creation of the gospel story, that God was going to dwell with his people, these ones who he made in his image, this good creation. And then Jesus' statement of seeing greater things in verses 50 and 51, it's, it's a connection to Jacob's ladder, that Jesus will be the greater way of access to God. He, he's greater than Jacob's ladder. Again, our third point, we see that Jesus calls us to see things greater, to see greater things in him as the Son of Man and the Son of God, who gives us access to God. This points us to receive Jesus' call like Nathaniel and Philip, that we must see Jesus as Nathaniel and Philip now see him in the text. That, this is the point that Jesus is getting at allows us to see this messianic title of the Son of God that John uses and this idea of the Son of Man. John kind of connects them here. So first we have to understand who the Son of Man is. Listen to what the Old Testament says about this in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. It says, the Son of Man is given, oh, it's the title is that he's been given dominion. Verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, this is the, the prophet Daniel, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. This is showing God's humanity. And he came to the ancient of days and was present before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. If you haven't seen it, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus was the Son of Man, He was the Son of God. He was the true Messiah who we're supposed to worship. And we now see that, that knowing Jesus, this gives us greater access when, when Jesus calls to actually abide and live in the Spirit, to know the gospel story of the fall, redemption, uh, uh, the, the, the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the restoration that Christ brings. And so, guys, we have to respond. 
We must respond to Jesus and his call if we are truly following him. We must respond to call people to love God and people in humility to Jesus who sovereignly invites us. He sovereignly knows you and invites us to come and see the Son of Man who gives us access to God. And so we must then also invite others to come and see. We must copy Philip and Nathaniel, who, sovereignly, who God sovereignly calls and then invites others to see him as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, as he truly is. And so we have this opportunity this next season, not just for these next coming Sundays, but for the next life of our church to, to be in this season where we, like Philip, hear Jesus' call. And that might be inviting someone to your house, to a meal, to church on Sunday, to a disciple group, to one of our other parties or the other things that we do, it, it, I think it's that easy. Invite them to come. If you really believe it, you will bring people that will roll with you. That's how a church will grow. And so use this next week to invite every person that you can. It's our grand opening, and we're excited, and so use the opportunity. Again, we have the invitations out there in the back, or just if you want to be more natural, just send, you know, send someone a text. Use this opportunity. God is calling us to call others like Philip did to come and see Jesus as he truly is. So take those invitations, pass them out, send invites, send texts, make calls to invite people again to our grand opening next week. And let's trust that Jesus calls people today to follow him. And just, again, just like he called the disciples back then to follow him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We need you. Lord, you have called us to follow you. And so, Lord, allow us to do it, Lord. We are broken, fallen people who need your gospel. And so allow us now, Lord, to just respond, to respond singing about following you. Lord, teach us what it means more and more to follow you, not just Lord, in our heads, but with our hearts, with passion, with discipline, with self-control, with all the beautiful ways you call us to know you. And let's, Lord, be encouraged to invite others to live this life with us, that we can't do it alone. We need your church. Build this church, Lord, for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.